Welcome to the All About Setwork podcast. In this podcast, we talk about all things setwork. That can include training tips, a behind-the-scenes look of what your instructor or trial official may be going through, and much more. In this Spotlight episode, we're speaking with Melissa Stagnaro about ARSA, this very interesting international competition organization where you'd be able to title while also tackling searches that are very similar to Search and Rescue. Before I start diving into the podcast episode itself, let me do a very quick introduction of myself. My name is Diana Santos. I'm the owner and lead instructor for Setwork University, Dogsport University, and Pet Dog U. These are all online dog training platforms that are designed to provide high-quality dog training instruction to as many people as possible. We're very fortunate to have a client basis worldwide. For Setwork University in particular, we provide online courses, seminars, webinars, and eBooks that are all designed to help you achieve your Setwork training goals. Whether you're just getting started in Setwork, you're looking to develop some more advanced skills, or if you're interested in trialing, we have a training solution for you. So now that you know a little bit more about me, let's dive into the podcast episode itself. For this podcast episode, I had the distinct privilege of speaking with Melissa Stagnaro regarding a very interesting organization called ARSA, where basically people are able to enter into a titling competition where your dogs are being tested against the very same types of skills that are necessary for search and rescue. Melissa is passionate about this organization and wanted to ensure that our listeners were aware of it and that dog owners can actually volunteer to be search and rescue teams themselves but they may be able to start even without their dog to start off with. So let's listen in on that conversation so that you all can learn a little bit more about ARSA and how you and your dog may be able to get started in search and rescue as a volunteer. You had reached out to me about this organization and I don't know anything about it, but it looks really, really interesting. Well, one, to tell people about the sport, you know, there's a lot of similarities to scent work and the traditional scent work obviously is very generally easy on older dogs, but like dogs coming from other sports, you know, this is an option for them if they have a very active mind, but, you know, maybe can't do the, the super quick agility runs or, or whatnot. I didn't know that other dog people didn't know that you could volunteer to be a search and rescue handler. Right. So yeah, I'm surprised other people didn't know that. Um, So this is, (laughs) you know, maybe one venue of opening up that world. Okay. Um, it, it all changes different communities, you know, how open or not they are to volunteers. But if you could demonstrate the skills in this sport, you would be picked up right away. This sport is the same. The rules are identical to what not so much in the U.S., but overseas, what everybody uses as their foundation search work certification because yes no people have no idea about that they think there's just like some magical thing that you do in order to do SAR (laughs) yeah yeah and maybe you know but usually you don't start with the dog you start either with the map reading or Mm -hmm. what they call the ground pounders until you've kind of put in your hours unless you already have a rock star dog but the yeah I, I was I was surprised that, like I said, this other woman in the dog world didn't know you could just be like, hey, I want to do search and rescue. Right. <laughs> and that's, I think it's a good way to share that information also to, I think it would be good for people who think that they may be interested in doing that and then getting started without the dog and be like, oh, wait a minute, I have to be out here like in these conditions and doing this, like this hard work. And 
no, I think I'll just do my training and my trialing at home. No, exactly. Right. And then, <laughs> and then, yeah, that's the people who really love to train dogs and get really nerdy and really precise about it. And, you know, maybe their dog like doesn't work in the rain. Right. So not good for actual search and rescue because <laughs> lost people often get lost when the weather is terrible. Right. But you could totally trial, mm -hmm. you know, and, you know, I've had an older dog do due to heat in training that I was like, hey, come on out. I'm pulling him. He's old. He's hot. Right. You know, whereas if it was an actual lost person, that's a different sort of pressure. So people that love the training, but they're like, eh, pretend lost people is, yeah. is good enough. <laughs> You know, I can right. just call them back, say, you know, and the other thing, certain types of people are really well suited, like their personality to represent the U.S. at a world championship. Mm -hmm. You know, so this is one venue. If if, you know, some of your listeners are that sort of person um, right now, we're just building up in the U.S., and so the bar is not so high to get on the U.S. team. <laughs> and probably some of your international listeners and clients already know that they said this is a much more popular sport um, elsewhere in the U.S. So, so how does the international competitions work? So if someone was like, oh, you've piqued my interest, what's involved with that? <laughs> so... There is one competition championship that any breed, you know, mix, intact, anything, papers, no papers, doesn't matter. So there's one championship for them. And actually, to be honest, that's the most prestigious one. Um, and then there is championships only for fci dogs which so the akc is a you know has an agreement with the fci so if a dog has akc papers or from another country any country that um, has an agreement with the fci and then there are uh breed specific um so like the fmbb uh for the belgian malinois They'll do RH as well as Mondio, IGP, Agility, Obedience. Um, the Dutch Shepherd, their world championship usually has RH. Uh, the German Shepherd, they have their own thing. They often do RH. So we have the one for any dog, and then we have one for any FCI pedigreed dog. And then we have special ones for just certain breeds. Awesome. You know, I could definitely see people like, Ooh, that sounds fun. <laughs> you know, I've been building up this sport in the U S with, with some colleagues for a longer and, you know, you could be the first X, Y, Z breed <laughs> to get this title in the U S and for the beginner level, the skills are not, it's not unreasonable. You could, you could get her done for the beginner level without too much effort. Right. I was like, you could put that on all the breeding <laughs> announcements or, you know, or, you know, your breed club or tell your, you know, where you got the dog from rescue or whatever. They'd be like amazed. <laughs> it's interesting. So how long has this organization been around in the U.S.? This one, ARSA, which is an all breed, is new. I think we were officially 
founded a year ago. Okay. Uh, the German Shepherd, I don't know how much you know, the, the SV is the umbrella of German Shepherds internationally and USCA is their American group. They've been doing RH for about 15 years and um, DVG as an alternative to USCA has been doing RH. Uh, we did it five and six years ago. And then I don't know if you're aware that the, the SV and the FCI big argument yes. about whose turf. <laughs> and then so DVG America was no longer allowed to offer RH okay. within the US. Um, so that's why then we formed this ARSA group to have another RH venue for those who didn't want to do the USCA and SV. Okay. So for, so let's get into the, the meat and the bones of it, if you will. Yep. So, so like, okay, this, this sounds kind of fun. I, something about SAR and search and rescue and titles and world teams. And, but what is it? <laughs> like, what, what do I have to do? What, what are all the components when you wanted to potentially look into ARSA? Right. Yeah. So there's three levels uh, that get progressively harder as in, you know, most sports. And then there's a fourth mission ready. So teams that pass the mission ready, they are certified SAR teams under the United Nations rules. Okay. So we're not really talking about that right now. We're just focusing on the, the three sport levels. Uh, so there's two phases. There's an obedience dexterity phase. It has all the normal healing, downstay, recall, and some that are a little SAR specific, like going through a tunnel with a chute. Okay. Um, one that's a little bit unique is being carried. The dog is carried. Okay. So for instance, if the my dog and I were working a rubble pile and let's say he and I both get injured. Mm. So then you, my teammate, could safely carry my dog off the rubble pile. Okay. Um, but like I said, that's mostly normal healing, stay, change of positions. And then we have the scent phase. Technically, there are six choices. Two of the choices are rarely chosen. In all intents and purposes, there's four, but there is uh, precision tracking, and that's very close in where the dog is following the footfalls of the track layer. There's area search, which is also sometimes called live find wilderness. We, we only find live people in this sport. We don't do any HRD cadaver work, uh, but area search, also known as live find wilderness, is one one for a beginner level, two for intermediate, three for advanced people are hiding in a, you know, sort of wooded area and okay. your dog has to locate those three. Rubble, which is also known as live find disaster or urban search and rescue uh, is like a collapsed building, you know, from maybe an earthquake or tornado. And again, there's one, two or three lost people in this structure. Okay. and your dog must find them. Fourth is man trailing. It's a different from tracking, although there's a lot of overlap, but in man trailing, the dog is following the scent 
which because of the wind and terrain might not be strongest at the footfalls. And the other two are avalanche, where you have one to three people buried in the snow and your dog has to go and find them and, and dig. And water rescue, which actually doesn't involve scent work. Picture the Newfoundlands that jump off the boat and take the, the buoy or the life preserver to people. So ARSA could definitely hold a water or avalanche. And if there's a club that's interested, there's nothing to stop us. <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> but really mainly it's gonna be tracking the wilderness search, the disaster search or the man trailing. Okay. And then to get into some more of the details about those. So for the, the live finding when they're doing the wilderness searches, is that done on leash or off leash or is there an option? No, that's a good question. So the tracking generally is on leash, although it could be off if your dog is very good. Man trailing is always on leash and the area search and the rubble is always off leash. Okay. And then for the rubble, what, just to kind of give people an idea of what this could actually look like, what, what their dogs are trying to contend with, what are, are these areas composing of? Is it actually like you are able to find a building that has been destroyed? So it could be literally anything, or is it some places that you guys have actually found with clubs that are used for training? So basically the, the, the crux of the question is, if I have a dog who may have some physical limitations, am I basically not going to be able to do that? I had a dog that was injured during rubble. He was very enthusiastic and he wouldn't let anything get in his way. So I maybe, it, especially if you had a dog that had some physical limitations, I would maybe steer away from rubble. Uh, a, a dog I might own in the future would be a little terrier. And then so that they're, they're built such that they could do rubble, no problem. But certain angulation of dogs, especially the ones that are super high drive, like I would, I would ask people for rubble. I need an inaccessible hide. Oh, this will be inaccessible. Yeah. Well, my dog jumped on this like teeny little thing and was 20 feet up in the air. Oh, geez. Yeah. No. Found the guy. And then we had to bring him down and it was rubble is the hardest to practice because of, you need a rubble pile. Folks can, uh, many, many people, you know, even for real deployable SAR teams will use pallet piles. They'll get, you know, shipping pallets, you know, for free or for very low cost. And they'll make, you know, sometimes they'll make structures, you know, like more like a maze and some just kind of helter skelter. Mostly where I would train rubble is at actual search and rescue training sites. I train a lot with uh, FEMA folks and, the other sites to, to do the beginner level. Um, you don't need that much space. Uh, if clubs are interested in offering it, it has to be just basically the size of a modest home collapsed. Okay. Okay. So not, not a huge footprint. And in fact, for the beginner level, if there's only one obvious hiding place, that's sufficient because the beginner level is a suitability test. Okay. Can your dog 
basically do this. We're right. going to test them for real at the intermediate and advanced level, but we just want to see, you know, does your dog kind of have the idea? And so for all of these, you're able as a competitor to pick and choose what you enter in. It's not as though you have to enter into everything. For those interested in earning the full title, you have to do both the obedience dexterity phase as well as the scent phase. Okay. But, you know, some of the SAR teams in the US, they don't want to do that much obedience. So they'll enter our competitions just scent work. Mm -hmm. So they'll do only the tracking, only the wilderness search, only the man trailing. Okay. And it doesn't matter if their dog can heal and do a long downstay. Some folks love competitive obedience and will just do the obedience dexterity portion. You can do all the levels in a certain discipline, or some folks like to do the beginner level of all the disciplines. Mm -hmm. And you can just keep going, mixing and matching, you know, as, as your interest builds. Okay. And then for training, for people who may be coming from our part of the world where they're used to finding essential oils or whatever the case may be, and they're like, okay, this sounds kind of interesting, but I have no idea what I'm doing. <laughs> so well, so what's, say, what's the best way of doing this? <laughs> I will say that there is a lot of overlap, not so much for the tracking. The, the tracking, a traditional nose work person would understand about aging and weather and terrain. So that would definitely help them in tracking. But for the three other main scent choices, the, the nose work competitor or enthusiast is going to have a lot of skills before they've even started. For instance, for the, for the area search, uh, you know, has your target odor been in place five minutes? or three hours, you know, that's gonna change the scent picture quite a bit. And so the, the nose work competitor is gonna understand that. The rubble is similar to the wilderness as far as aging and, you know, how much scent is then carried off. But rubble you have maybe similar to other detection. You have perhaps uh, literal pipes or essential pipes that you have the hidden person over here and you have how the building has collapsed and their odor has moved. So can the dog understand where the odor is? Uh, obviously uh, the, the nose work folks know that where the scent is strongest is not always where the essential oil Q-tip is located. Right. You know, so that's definitely something that the the nose work enthusiast can already understand where the person is hidden might not be where the, the scent is strongest okay and then for your preference for training how do you reward the dog upon finding the person so do you have the person hold on to a tug or treat or do you have the handler go up and reward the dog once they find the person what's your preference as far as that's concerned when I'm working with other folks or starting a dog, I always have uh, the hider reward them. You even want a little bit disobedience, similar to the nose work. If I call my dog, but he's found you, I want him to not come back. I want him to stay alerting to you. 
And then that's me being, oh, you were a dummy. You should have realized he was he was on the person and you shouldn't have called him off. Some dogs that are that are very strong and know their job, then I as a handler, you know, for an experienced dog, I would just reward them. But and, you know, starting off, it's gonna be direct. Right. That makes sense. And then as far as for competition, what is per, uh, what is allowed as far as rewarding is concerned? Um, so again, for a set work, they find a hide, they're allowed to reward in the ring with toys or food or whatever. Are there any kind of limitations when you're trialing for ARSA? There are limitations. So ARSA is just following the international rule book. So we don't have any you know, additional rules over that, but okay. the international standards are no food, no toys, no training collars. The dog can wear different things depending on the scent work they're they're doing, but yeah, no training equipment and no no rewards beyond, you know, good boy. And if it's hot, you can obviously give them water. Okay, perfect. And then as far as for people who may think you know what, this, this sounds really interesting. I've been doing this just for dog sport stuff. And now you've piqued my interest about the SAR stuff. What would be a good way for them to get involved with that if they thought that they and their dogs could actually do this beyond just getting titles <laughs> where they could actually potentially volunteer? What's a good way of doing that? Yeah, so varies across the nation, but almost all communities have a local SAR team sometimes multiple, sometimes it a civilian volunteer under the sheriff's department, but oftentimes it's just, you know, city of insert your name, SAR team. Okay. And the competition rules that we use, they're the international standards for teams that are utilized, very common, not so much in the U.S., but if you were to take your dog who has earned the beginner or intermediate title and shown shown the skills they have most teams unless they're very full up would welcome you with open arms i i will mention tracking is not i love tracking tracking is one of my favorite scent works if you're not a police dog handler tracking is not uh, very feasible for actual search and rescue. So for a police dog handler, they get to the scene of the burglary or, or whatnot, you know, right away, and the dog can track. But most community SAR teams do not do tracking because by the time they're called, it's maybe the next day and everyone and their uncle has tramped around the scene. But man trailing, as I mentioned before, the dog is following the scent, not the footfalls. So a very good man trailing dog can easily discriminate between all these people and a good man trailing dog can work several hour old man trail. In the US, the only dogs that are certified to do rubble are affiliated with FEMA. So if you are looking to use this venue to see if you like it, see if your current dog likes it, learn a little bit more, 
area search, the live find wilderness, and the man trailing would be your two go-tos. Those are the two choices that communities all throughout the US and abroad would really appreciate having more assets of a, a live find off-leash wilderness dog or the man trailing dog. And was there any other information that you wanted to share with everyone about yourself, maybe your journey, how this all started for you? It would be really helpful for people to understand like who you are too. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah. So I had, um, I, I still have uh, a Dutch Shepherd that has tons of drive and a very clear head. And I did many dog sports with him. He was a great tracker. And I was looking through a dog magazine and looking, it was a it was like for a breeding kennel and they were talking, they were showing the titles of some of the, the studs they had. And I saw this, I saw this title that I didn't know what it was. And I looked it up and I was like, oh man, my dog could do that. I just need, you know, to train just one or two little things. Um, and, and that's how, that's how I got into it. So I started with tracking because he already knew how to track very well. I had done a lot of tracking competitions. I went through all three levels of tracking and then I did all three levels of area search. And then I did all three levels of rubble search. And um, he's mostly retired now, but, but we finished off his RH career with uh, beginning man trailing. Awesome. I've dabbled in, in all of them. He's, he was a good sport to, <laughs> to let me keep changing the rules on him. They are amazing little creatures. Like, oh, we're doing this now? Okay, fine. <laughs> <laughs> and then for people who are interested in maybe getting started or learning a bit more, are there events scheduled? Like, are, is this more of a regional thing so far in the U.S.? Or is this something that's coast to coast? Where would they maybe be able to volunteer at an event or get started? Are there seminars, workshops? How can I get my feet wet, basically, is what I'm trying to get at. <laughs> Yeah, great. So right now we're heavy in the mid-Atlantic area, but we have trainers and experienced RH competitors uh, in the Los Angeles area, in Oregon, in uh, Arkansas. We've had we've had seminars in the mid-Atlantic area. We've had mock. They're coming up on a mock trial, and we're coming up on an actual trial with seminars in Northern Virginia. We have a lot of resources on our website, uh, names of some trainers. Some will do remote assistance, um, lists of books. We have rules, cheat sheets. The, the rule book was written by an international committee. And sometimes, you know, you have to read this one paragraph and turn to page 47 and then page 47, you have to read page 112. So. <laughs> It's very understandable English, but it's a little bit hard. So we've prepared, you know, kind of rules, cheat sheets that give you everything you need to know, all the, all the specifics. Ours is a national organization and we're putting a lot of resources to help new clubs and new individuals. We have a national training director and we have others who are ready to assist for the the higher levels, there's some equipment, like one of the obedience exercises is uh, a horizontal ladder. Okay. So we have folks that 
can help you make them. The rule book is in metric. And when you go to Home Depot or Lowe's, you know, you don't buy metric wood <laughs> in the US. So, you know, we have folks that can help you figure out what proper wood to buy in the US without being really wasteful and buying, you know, too much. So you make it exactly to the metric. For individual competitors, we're going to have upcoming uh, Zoom calls and we're available for any other assistance for new formed clubs. We are open to come out to the, the club on the national organization's expense and either give a seminar or mock trial, whatever, you know, is appropriate. So while we are quite heavy in the mid-Atlantic area, this is a national organization and we have resources throughout the country and are, are ready to support folks wherever they are. That's awesome. Well, I really appreciate you reaching out to me because I do think there are going to be a quite a large slice of our clients and listeners who are going to be like, ooh, this sounds very interesting. I think I want to give this a try. <laughs> um, I hope so. It, it's really fun. Yeah, it sounds really fun. It sounds really interesting. And particularly for people who've always kind of admired search and rescue from afar, this can be a way for them to see, okay, now I can get a taste of it. Maybe I could actually do it because there are people who do want to help and they may have really rock star dogs. And maybe they're not interested in trialing, but they actually would like to potentially deploy. And as you noted, more assets are needed. <laughs> so Definitely. if you have a good dog and a good handler, then by all means. So this is wonderful. Thank you very much for letting us know about it. <laughs> oh, I, I will put it, I'll put in a small plug for one of my trainer friends. Sure. She has a, a book that's called The Family Disaster Dog. And so for those, those listeners who are really into self-sufficiency, all these skills, you can train your own dog to find a lost family member. So, you know, sometimes there, there's, you know, a nat natural disaster or whatnot. You know, even if your dog might not ever even be good enough to trial or to be on an actual star team, you know, these skills could be really important for, for the family dog. You know, even if it's never needed, you know, these dogs love to use their nose and love to work. And you can teach them, she has a great exercise where she would send a, you know, a family friend child to go play somewhere else in the neighborhood. So the child would be at this neighbor's house for maybe hours. And then she would get her pet, sent him, and that dog would track the neighborhood to the correct house on the hours old trail. Uh, you know, our dogs love that stuff. Right. And hopefully you never need it. Right. But wow, I mean, you could have that skill. So the training this, you know, whether you do it for real, actual lost person, whether you do it competitively or just as loads of fun. I mean, how many people have just played hide and go seek with their dog? Right. <laughs> you know, you know, it's just, just a little more elaborate than that. Right. Yeah, no, this is amazing. Well, I really do appreciate you reaching out to me because I do think that there's going to be a bunch of people who are interested in learning more about it. We'll make sure there are links inside of our replay page, as well as on our website and our social medias and everywhere else. Is there Thank anything you. else that you would like them to know about either yourself or the organization before you wrap up? I would just encourage folks to, to give it a chance and to think about 
search and rescue with their dog, whether it's more of a, you know, just family level, having fun, competitive level, or potentially really finding someone who's lost. As you can see, this is a very interesting organization. And the fact that if you are interested in learning a little bit more about search and rescue, this is something that you and your dog may be able to do. So definitely take a look in your area to see if there are any search and rescue groups and see how you may be able to volunteer to see what may be involved and how you may be able to help out. We'll make sure that there are links for ARSA as well as some additional resources that Melissa was kind enough to share with us on our replay page for the podcast episode itself. We'll make sure we post this up on our Facebook group as well as our website and social media. But as always, we want to hear from you. What did you think about this episode? Are you interested in learning a little bit more about ARSA? Has it piqued your interest? Would you like to get involved? <laughs> and also, if there are other individuals or businesses that you would like for us to speak with for our Spotlight series, please make sure that you let me know. I definitely want to make sure that we're spreading light on anyone who is giving back to the separate community and helping everything be a little bit better, particularly in these dark times. <laughs> So the more that we'd be able to showcase how people are giving back to the community, that would be a wonderful thing for all of us to do. But thank you so much for listening. Happy trading. We look forward to seeing you soon.